0: Today we're coming to the end of our series of reflections on the letters um, of Paul to Timothy, uh, first and second letters, which we started way back in August with Steve. Last week, um, Robin told us to start right, and today we're looking at ending well. In this final chapter of Second Timothy, Paul tells us that his death is close at hand, He's on death row in Rome, and there's no way out. He's never going to be set free. And the words we heard read by Alison come from the last chapter of the last book ever written by the Apostle Paul. Paul's looking death in the face here and saying, I'm ready. And this kind of confidence, I think, in the face of death doesn't happen by accident. So I want to look at how is it that Paul comes to end so well. He both lived well and ended well. So let's have a look, if you want to follow it, in verse 6 at the two illustrations that he uses um, to describe his attitude towards what he's facing. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, says Paul. He's not holding out any hope to Timothy here. It's already happening and there's no way out. There's no way to stop it happening. A drink offering was a kind of sacrifice that the Romans used. It was a way of um, pouring a goblet of wine over the hot coals at the altar. Maybe as a prayer was said or a vow was taken and it marked um, very often the end of the service of the, the time together and it meant that it was time to rise and move on you can just imagine the lovely aroma of the wine as it evaporated um, coming out it's as if um, Paul's using this to illustrate his death he's saying the day is ended it's time to rise and go And my life must be poured out as an offering to God, a sacrifice to God. His executors, because he was executed, had his head chopped off probably, might think that they were taking Paul's life. But actually, Paul didn't see it that way. He saw his death as an offering that he was bringing to God, he was giving to God. He'd given everything to his Lord since the day of his conversion on the road to Damascus. He's only one thing left to give here and that's his life and he seems to be offering it totally willingly and he offers that too as a sacrifice to the worship of the God he loves. Paul wanted to get across to Timothy exactly what he was feeling about this impending death. So he calls his death here a departure. Now, the word departure, it seems, would have meant quite a number of different things to um, the listeners uh, and to Paul reading it. For some, the word departure meant um, taking the the horse or the the ox out of the the shafts of the plough. And so death was the mark of an end to a time of labor. For others, this term was used for loosening bonds or chains. So death meant release for Paul. The Greeks used that term um, for striking a tent, packing up the gear, moving on, implying that Paul, um, Paul's life in this, in this world was just temporary. And the same word departure was used for loosening the moorings of a ship. And so it was about setting sail for home. For Paul then, death was an end to a tough life. He's losing his chains, breaking camp, setting sail and going home to be with the Lord. There's a real sense of peace implied, I think, in Paul's words. It's all positive, isn't it? There's nothing negative there in the way he's describing it. For some reason we in our very sterile western society don't like to talk about death and funnily enough I did kind of google this passage um, and everybody else that seemed to have written about it seemed to have skirted around the topic and I thought no I'm not going to do that in all the years I've been going to church I don't think I've ever heard anybody speak on this topic so I thought I would this morning. We seem to think that death is somehow a terrible thing and people really are very reluctant um, to have any kind of conversation about their own death or somebody else's. Clearly Paul didn't think so. In our society, very often people rail against um, somebody's death, don't they? They rail against God. And they want their elderly relatives often to be kept alive as soon as possible. About 18 months ago, mum mum was dying um, and we as a family had to go and say to the hospital... um, Please just let her rest. Please leave her in bed. Don't try to get her better. Stop trying to feed her. Because they're, well, that's their job, isn't it? It's to get them better to go home. And they were talking about her going home, but we were clear that mum was giving us a very clear message. She wasn't going home, not to that home anyway. Um, and that this was time for her to go. And so as a family, we accepted that and we, so did the hospital. They were very good about it, I must say. Um, But they said that other families do find it difficult and they want their relatives to get better and go home again. Paul here is saying it's okay to die. When someone's dying, I think we have to make it okay for them. It's okay because although we may not know what's on the other side, we do know who's going to be there. In his last days, when the disciples knew that Jesus was going to die he comforted them with the words where i go you will follow later don't let your hearts be troubled he said trust in god and trust also in me i'm going to prepare a place for you when the time comes i will come back and take you that you may be where i am recently i was speaking to debbie patton some of you may know her i think she comes mainly to the nine thirty service And she works in a hospice. And she was talking about headlines that we so often read about somebody who's lost their fight with cancer, for example. And it's such a terrible thing that they've died. And what she said to me that day was, people who die aren't losers. That's quite a statement. And she sees death probably on a daily basis in her work. Paul certainly didn't see himself as a loser, did he? In verse 7, Paul's looking back on his life and he says um, three things that give us an idea of what he feels he's achieved. He says, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. He feels he's ended well and now he's ready to accept the reward for having ended so well the crown of righteousness, which will be awarded to him by the Lord himself. There's no sign of doubt or self-pity here, just absolute conviction. Paul saw his death as winning the race, as winning the fight and being rewarded for that and going home to be with God in the place that Jesus had prepared for him. I think it's important this morning to clarify that we're talking about Paul facing his own death here. We don't have any record of what Timothy was feeling on uh, receipt of this letter. But if um if I think about it, what he's probably feeling um, is heartbroken. He's losing his great, great friend. He's losing his mentor and this father figure. When someone's facing death, it's probably much easier for them than it is for those around them. Jesus said to his disciples, if you loved me, you'd be glad I'm going to the Father. It's a bit easier said than done, isn't it? Because the disciples knew they were going to miss this wonderful leader that they had. Perhaps that's why it's so much easier for some people facing their own death than it is facing the death of those around them. 12 years ago I had that experience myself I almost died some of you here are aware of that because you were around at the time Um, I had an emergency operation uh, on boxing day 12 years ago for cancer and in the middle of it I had a heart attack I was definitely I think on my way out I was very ill at that time I survived the operation, as you can see, and uh, the the cancer had spread. And so there followed about a year of chemotherapy on a weekly basis, which isn't, um, by the way, the worst thing that can happen to you, chemotherapy. Two fellow elders in my previous church had been diagnosed with the same type of cancer at the same time, and they both died. So I knew that there were no guarantees here. And I had to come to terms with the fact that I could die. But those around me really didn't want to do that. It was so much more difficult for them. I realised, actually, that it was more difficult for them. It was worse for them than it was for me. And Peter Wood came to see me um, not long after I was out of hospital, um, when I was um, extremely weak, I have to say. And um, he was very tentative as he said to me, What about God, Fiona? Fiona? And I remember very clearly the words that just came straight out of my mouth. And it was so reassuring for me to hear these words coming from me. And I said, oh, Peter, I gave my life to God a long time ago and there's no taking it back now. (laughs) Um, And I've never forgotten that because it is extremely reassuring. My connection with God was so strong. Isn't that lovely? I I just remember saying to God um, and praying to God... um, Well, I'm either going to live or I'm going to die. And I can't make that decision, but you can. So whichever it is, it's okay with me. That's a good place to be. I have to say, and I didn't say this at the first service, but I must add in... I was being so supported in prayer by this church at that time it was a very very young new church as you can imagine 12 years ago but my goodness the prayer support that I got was absolutely incredible and I'm quite sure that was a lot the reason why it was much easier for me some of you no doubt have had to face the same thing the possibility of your own death I certainly count it as a privilege to have been there to that place and know that it's okay to die It's just the next step. And it wasn't that I'd lived well. I didn't feel, you know, I'm not a sinner, therefore it's okay. I just knew that God loved me. And that seemed to be everything. That seemed to be all that mattered. I had no doubt, and neither did Paul here. Paul was really passionate about his message, wasn't he? Throughout all the letters that we read of his. And as this was the very last time he was writing anything down, these would be the last words virtually that he wrote that we heard this morning before the Emperor Nero uh, executed him. I began to wonder, what is it that Paul would want to leave us with? What is it that he would want each one of us in this church here to know this morning, to understand so that we could live well and end well like him? Paul had spent his life getting this message across. So what did Paul know, the understanding of which might change everything for us? I think perhaps we begin to get an inkling in the second part of our reading. In verses 16 to 18, Paul wants us to understand that where people might let you down, Jesus won't. In the previous verses that we didn't read this morning, verses 9 to 15, Paul has just named and shamed a whole lot of people who had let him down. They left him in the lurch in the last few months. And at his preliminary hearing, he calls it his first defence, um, as we read in the Bible, before the Roman authorities. No one stood with Paul that day except Jesus. It was Jesus who comforted Paul and empowered Paul Not only to defend himself, but to tell the people there about the good news of the gospel. His defense kind of turned into a sermon. Amazing, isn't it? He's not even trying to save his own neck here. He simply just wants people to know the good news, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's assurance of deliverance here isn't that he's going to be set free and go on to live but that Jesus will stand with him to the end. He's confident that his death will launch him safely into the kingdom of God, God's heavenly kingdom i was aware that i was going to be speaking on this topic when i went to glasgow about three weeks ago to a conference there one of the speakers was neil donald walsh i don't know if any of you have come across him um very good he's written two books conversations with god one and conversations with god Two. Um, and his new book that he was speaking about that day was is called the only thing that matters now there's a title for a book the only thing that matters well worth reading his talk was brilliant um But he stopped suddenly in the middle and it was really quite odd because it didn't seem to fit with the rest of what he was speaking about. And he suddenly said, what happens when we die? And then a few seconds later, he answered it, nothing at all. So, of course, I sat up and took notice. I turned to my brother who was sitting next to me and I said, do you think God's trying to tell me something here? And he said, I think he might be. Neil Donald Walsh then looked round at his audience and he said, well, why would that surprise you? Jesus said, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And you are in me and I am in you. And you'll do things that I've been doing and even greater things than these. Paul knew that. In the letter to the Galatians, he says, it's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. He was not speaking physically, of course, although that's debatable, um, but spiritually. That's precisely, of course, in line with what Jesus said. He said to the disciples, the kingdom of God, the realm of the spirit is within you. The place where the spirit of God is at work is within you. The problem with some traditional religious teaching is that it teaches separation theology. It seems to suggest that we are separate from God and that the soul's purpose, therefore, is to find its way back to God. God's over there and we're over here. And when we die, our hope is to get back over there rather than end up somewhere else. Neither Paul nor Jesus were teaching separation theology. They were teaching that God is present in us and we are present in God. Now that makes perfect sense. If God is omnipresent and omnipotent, then we are in God. If the realm of the spirit, the place where the spirit works, is within us, then God is in us. If you want a more scientific explanation, ask me afterwards. From the very first book of the scriptures, which Paul kept taking us back to, we're told that we are made in the image of God in Genesis chapter 1. As God is, we are. Jesus told us God is spirit. Therefore, when we worship, we must worship in spirit and in truth. And in his first apostle, John tells us God is love. If God is love are love if god is spirit we are spirit the trouble is that we get so caught up in believing that what we experience in this life is a reality but it actually isn't as physical beings our agenda has become to get stuff just go out this afternoon and you'll see everybody's shopping Separation theology creates a separation psychology and a separation sociology, and so it seems that we have very little or nothing to do with each other. It's just permeated society so that we begin just to think about ourselves and those who are just in our own little families. And we're all separate. And so um, we, uh, our aim becomes to get a, a job, then to get a car, and then to get a house, and then to get a spouse. And in time, what do we do? We get the better job and the better car and the better house. And yet, these days, the better spouse as well. You notice the divorce rate just getting higher and higher and higher. And if in doing so we harm somebody else, then it doesn't seem to matter to us because they're not connected with us in any way at all. And we spend inordinate amounts of time worrying about what our bodies look like. And goodness knows what we weigh. It is a national obsession, isn't it? We seem to think that this body is who we are. Jesus said, stop worrying about the body. What to eat, what to drink, what to wear. He actually said that, yeah. What does everybody worry about? What do I look like? What are we? What are we? But we are to seek first the kingdom of God our first priority is to seek to live in the eternal spiritual realm and everything else he said will come to you as a result of that everything else somebody with an, an unpronounceable name which i think might be um, pierre tayard de chardin if anybody speaks french let me know afterwards we are not human beings having a spiritual experience he said we are spiritual beings having a human experience the minute we understand that we understand Paul's relaxed attitude to his own death if you're a spiritual being already in God and God in you what could possibly happen when you die nothing at all because there is nothing to happen We are one with the Father already. That's why we need to spend time in prayer and meditation. You know, we talk about in and up and out. That up connection is so important. It's in not realizing that connection which separates us from God. In other words, it's a perception, not a truth. What Paul wanted us to understand throughout his ministry, I think, is that we're spiritual beings and that this soul that we have does have an agenda, yes, but it's different from the one of the body or the mind that we think ourselves to be. As a spiritual being with God in us, our agenda changes to that of being a demonstration of the love that God is. That love divine all loves excelling. Sometimes sit down and just contemplate the words of that amazing hymn. It's beautiful. Love divine, all loves excelling. Neil Donald Wolfe came up with a very original way of of putting this um, as he was talking to us. He said, you are an individuation of God. I'm still contemplating that one. And maybe you want to take it away with you and contemplate it a little bit yourself. You you are an individuation of God. The spirit of the risen Christ lived in Paul and everything he did and said resulted from that. In Galatians, he said, God, who is at work in Peter, um, an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in me, an apostle to the Gentiles. When we live in the spiritual realm, the expression of God in us can only be the fruits of the Spirit love joy peace patience kindness goodness gentleness faithfulness self-control something along these lines your soul's purpose becomes about everyone you touch and the way in which you touch them with the love of God not acquiring stuff. That's what Paul knew and preached. Paul ended well because he knew the truth of the gospel. Let's see what he said himself in Romans. He said, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And further in that chapter, probably some of the most wonderful words in the whole of the Bible. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord that's why Paul lived well that's why Paul ended well And that's Paul's legacy to us this morning.